Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm glad you could be with us today, whether you're here in live right here in the sanctuary or whether you're following us on the Internet. We're grateful that you could be here to hear from God's Word this morning. I'm glad that you all made it safe and sound and that it really wasn't as bad as what uh, some of them were making it out to be. Uh, but we're praying that next weekend, we understand there's a, another call for next weekend for more of this wonderful stuff. And so we're praying that if the Lord's going to bring the snow, that it'll wait until Sunday afternoon late. Amen? And so that we can be here and, and enjoy being together. But we're going through the Gospel of John this year, the whole year. And we're looking at the topic of only Jesus. And the, the, the subheading of that uh, series is seeing the Savior in a selfie World, how we're to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we are in chapter 1 still, and we're going to pick up in verse 19. We're going to go through verse 51 and we'll finish out chapter 1 today. But we're really going to dwell on just a, a one key verse, really, in this passage of Scripture in verse 29 here in just a few minutes. But you saw the question that popped up on the, the video just a minute ago. The very first question that popped up was, what do I really need to live? What do I really need to live? When you put that in Google, when you put that in your search engine, uh, it comes up with all kinds of things that are not what maybe you're thinking, but it comes up with uh, how to downsize. It comes up with things about, uh, they're thinking about the things of life, or the things that we need to live, and, and they, it gives you the uh, websites of the minimalist or tiny houses, how you can live in a tiny house. Maybe you can, but I can't do that, by the way. <laughs> And then five, five basic needs to survive. You get those kinds of answers, you know, like water and air and food and shelter and sleep. But as I went through, and then if, you've, if you've ever used Google, you know that there's quite a few pages that you can go to. And as I continue to go through the pages, I never saw the answer that I was really looking for as what do we really need to live. And the answer is only Jesus. Not once did I see that, but, that's, but in reality, that is not our authority. Google is not my authority. This is. Amen? And that's what we find there in the Word of God, is that Jesus is who we need to live. You know, but we are so caught up in our world, in our worldly ways, in our worldly treasures, our worldly stuff, that truthfully, oftentimes we have lost sight of the life that we have in Jesus Christ. We live in a selfie world where we are very self-oriented in every aspect of our lives. And we think that we need stuff to live or we can do life all on our own. And we don't need anybody. I can do this by myself, we think. But how arrogant we have become in this selfie world. Y'all with me this morning? So to really live, we need to understand that we need Jesus. To really live, we, we understand we need Jesus. And apart from him, listen, apart from Jesus is death. Apart from Jesus is death, but with Jesus is life. And so we're, today we're going to look to him again. And today we're going to look to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it has been my prayer, and it is my prayer, that may we feel the weight of why we need Jesus, but then also feel the relief and the rejoicing 
of the rescue that we have had from him from our sin. So in honor and reverence to the word of God, if you would stand as I read for, for you John chapter 1, verses 19 and following. The Bible says this in John 1. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Of course, we're speaking here of John the Baptist. Verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, No. And they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And these things were done in Bethbara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, was found, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is translated the stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael, who said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. But Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And Lord, it is a powerful passage of Scripture. As it centers around who you are, Lord Jesus, only Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we have become so accustomed to hearing those words. We have become so prone to think just about ourselves and not about what you have done that, this is, that these words themselves have become 
uh, not what they should be to us, but rather they've just become uh, a, a passing memory. But Lord, I pray that this morning that you would remind us again of the power of these words as to who you are, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. God, may we be reminded of the weight of what that is. And may we walk away rejoicing in what you have done. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, if you have the bulletin in front of you, see there's an outline here. And the first thing that we want to see is we look at this passage of Scripture. And again, this first, first point, we're going to really hone in on this one verse, really, verse 29. And we see, first off, that we are to receive and be rescued. As we think about the Lamb of God, we are to receive and to be rescued. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that really involves as we walk through this passage of Scripture. But the first thing we want to see here, this is the first sub-point, is to establish our need. To establish our need. Now, because we live in such a selfie world, some people say, well, I don't really need anything. I don't need anything from God. I don't need anything. I am good on my own. Or we think that we need the wrong things. We have a long list of things that we think we need, but in reality, we are needy of what the Lord offers because we are sinners. And so what we find here in in verse 29 is that John who has been baptizing, and now he's been asked why he's doing the baptizing by the religious leaders. And he sees Jesus now coming toward him. And as he sees Jesus coming, he speaks and he says, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Man, I, I can just hear it in my heart and in my, in my ears ringing as John the Baptist proclaims the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what we see here as we think about our need, establishing our need is to understand the latter part of that is that he's the one who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John here is preaching repentance. He's preaching repentance in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. He was preparing the people's hearts to receive the Messiah. He is saying to them, you need to repent your heart needs to change. There needs to be an adjustment in your attitude and know that the Messiah is coming. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to remember also that the prophets had been silent for hundreds of years up until this point. But now John the Baptist is a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He's the messenger heralding the king is coming. But he wanted them to know that this is no ordinary king. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people had not heard from the Lord in so long over this period of time. They had the scriptures, but they were focusing on their religion rather than on where God was working and what he was doing. The message that John preached was seeking a change of heart in both the Gentile and in the Jew. But what we see here in those verses, in verses 19 through 25 or 26 or so, we see that the religious leaders were clueless. 
that they were concerned, listen, they were concerned about their traditions, and they were concerned about who this guy is who's doing this baptism, who is way out of protocol, not that he's just baptizing Gentiles, but he's also baptizing Jews, and it's just not proper. And so they're having this thought process going on, and they were losing sight of the message. You know, I wonder oftentimes if we have, too, also gotten to that point. Have we gotten to the point where we are so religious, but we are not looking for the Lord? We're so religious, we're so caught up in our traditions and our religions that we're no longer looking for the Lord. There's been no change of heart or our hearts have grown cold or our hearts have grown indifferent to the Lord. We enjoy our traditions, we enjoy our preferences, we enjoy our comfort, we enjoy doing what and when on our own timetables because we are a selfie generation. We're all about us. We like having control of the situations and we're not looking for the Lord. We're not listening for his voice. We're not interested in what he's trying to show us or to tell us. We just want to maintain the status quo and we're just like those religious people who don't have a clue. Mm. These religious people questioning John, they really had no clue just how lost they were. And there are plenty, listen, and hear my heart this morning, there are plenty of religious people today who also don't have a clue as to how lost they are. Many will go through their religious routines in order to fulfill their religious duties. So what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, let me help you out a little bit. Well, we say our blessing at the meals. Check. I got to go to church on Sunday. Check. Go when there's ice. Check, check. (laughs) Smile at the neighbor. Check. Smile at the really rough neighbor. I don't really like a lot, but I smile anyway. Check. Big check. Put a little tip in the plate. Check. Serve somewhere in the church. Check. Don't complain. Check. And so we go through life, and we think that we have life because we're fulfilling our duties. We think, okay, I'm doing all these things just right, and so God is pleased with me, and I am blessed by him, and so hopefully I will get to heaven. But, beloved, listen, that is not real life. That is not real life, because here's the thing, is that we are all sinners. We all mess up. We're human beings who are sinful people. And we have forgotten, listen, we have forgotten how lost we are or we have forgotten how lost we were. But since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, understand that we, all of humanity, has been under a curse. The curse of sin, where the penalty for our sin is not a slap on the wrist, but the the penalty for sin is nothing other than death. The Bible tells us that no matter how good we think we are, that we are not good enough to escape that penalty of death. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
None of us are righteous enough or holy enough or perfect enough to escape the penalty of death because of sin. We even will deceive ourselves to think how wonderful we are, but in reality, even our hearts will deceive us, and and our hearts are deceptive. For in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? But we say, oh, but we, we are, we're not really that bad. We really are good people, and I do all these good things. I mean, I've got all these check marks on my boxes of all the things that I'm doing to fulfill my responsibilities and to fulfill my duties. But we need to understand that we are unclean because of our sinfulness. We are sinful, and we are unclean. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, but we are all an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like the filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You see, beloved, here's what we need to understand is that we are creations of the creator. God Almighty created us and he is holy. As a matter of fact, what we have found in the scripture is that he is holy, holy, holy. And we are not. We are not. And we cannot be in his presence because he is so holy. Because he is holy and we're sinners. And because we're such sinners, we are separate from holy God. And as sinners, we are under the wrath of God. We deserve the penalty. As sinners, we have the penalty of death that is on us. Break any command, death penalty. Break any commandment, death penalty. Disobey God's word, death penalty. Rebel against his way, death penalty. And all of us are guilty. All of us. There is none righteous. No, not one. Well, Pastor, you are just blessing my socks off this morning. (laughs) Because the situation sounds hopeless, doesn't it? Because of who we are and the penalty, and all of us sin, all of us fail. And indeed, our situation would be hopeless if it were not for God who is gracious. You see, God is just in that sin must be paid for. And it would be an affront and an insult to his holiness if it was not. No, he doesn't excuse the sin. But the sin's penalty of death must be paid for. And we see that blood is what God uses to pay for sin. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of a lamb or sacrifice of a goat used to cover the sins of the people. But it was inadequate. In Leviticus 4, it told about when there was a sin offering that was taken or given, that a person was to take a lamb or a kid of a goat and lay their hand on the head of that lamb or head of the goat, and that that lamb or or the kid of the goat was to be killed so that the blood would spill out. And the priest then would take the, the blood and put it on the altar. But as a person would lay their hand on that lamb or their or their kid of the goat, then the the goat or lamb would take the sin. It would be transferred to that lamb. And then the fat of the lamb would be burned as a sacrifice, an offering to God for the sin. And what would happen is that if you uh, was the person laying your hand on that lamb or the kid of a goat, and you saw that because of your sin, 
this animal dies, you would remember the consequence to your sin. Does that make sense to you? The problem with us today is that we have not remembered that there are consequences to our sin. When I was growing up, I remembered very well the consequences of my sin. Because my mama reminded me. And she didn't remind me with just her words, let me tell you. Mama's from the old school. There was a belt with my name on it. Or a spoon. Or a stick. Or a switch that I had to find. Can I get a witness? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I, had to, and I knew the consequence of my sin almost immediately. But the people in that day, as they would take the sacrifice to the priest, they would be reminded of the consequence of sin. But it was inadequate because it had to be completed all the time because people sin all the time. But God. But God had a plan to rescue his people. God would send his son, Jesus. God in the flesh, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Remember we talked about that last week where he is in the beginning. The words in the beginning with God is God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God would send his son. And he would rescue, this son Jesus would rescue us from the penalty of sin once for all. He'd rescue us from what? He'd res- he rescues us from death. From both physical death and eternal death. See, not only do we die, but we die eternally in a place called hell if we have not had our sins taken care of. If they have not been paid for. This place called hell is a real place, by the way. There is constant punishment for our sin in this place where we die eternally because of sin. And so what we see here is that we need to establish our need that we need to live not the things of this world, but we need somebody. His name is Jesus. So what do we need to live since we've established our need? The second sub-point here is to embrace who he is and what he has done. Because this is what the author, John, is trying to get the audience to do. And that is to believe in Jesus and have life. Remember that? In his name. In John 20, verse 31, that's the key verse of this whole book, this whole gospel. John 20, 31 says, But these are written, these words are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so John's declaration, John the Baptist declaration here in verse 29 makes it clear that this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now John the Baptist, as he speaks these words, he's inspired by the Spirit of God and he no doubt does not fully quite understand what those words mean. But John, the the writer John, as he wrote those words down, is looking backward. He knows very clearly what God meant when he inspired John to say those words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, receive the Lamb of God and be rescued from the penalty of sin. And only Jesus, the Lamb of God, can rescue us from that penalty. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
He solves the problem of sin. Well, how can he do that? Because as the Lamb of God, he takes away our sin, but he also gives us his righteousness. Whereas the person who laid their hand on the Lamb in that day, simply the, 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 the sin transferred to the Lamb... In the sight of God, but now this Lamb, the Lamb of God, our sin has transferred to Jesus, but His His righteousness has transferred to us. The problem of our sin has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. Amen. He is God. He can do this because He is God and He is human. As John utters these words in verse 20, 29, no doubt the people's minds, as they hear John pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The people who are around him, their minds have to go back to the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 22, maybe they're thinking of that passage of Scripture. Abraham is tested by God to sacrifice his only son, but God provides a ram at the very last minute. And so this was a substitute sacrifice. Or maybe their minds go to Exodus chapter 12, which was the Passover. Well, they remember very clearly that God promised to pass over the houses where he saw the blood of the unblemished, spotless lamb on the doorpost. For the blood of the lambs caused the people of Israel to be spared from the plague of death. Or maybe their minds went back to the, the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 7 where the, or Isaiah prophesied and said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, by his stripes we are healed, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. They may have thought about Isaiah 53 as John spoke these words. John the Baptist spoke, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would not have understood it. They may have thought about it, but they not have understood it. But, beloved, we understand it. Because he is the Lamb of God, who's by, by his stripes we are healed. Amen? Amen? We have been rescued from perishing. John is saying, look, here is the perfect sacrificial lamb who will be offered for the sin of his people and take away the sin. The word takes away means to, be, to take up and to take away means to be charged with the guilt of the sin and to bear it away. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for you and for me, is that he took our sin upon himself and has taken it away. So the guilt of our sin has been transferred to Jesus, paid for, and taken away. And so let us establish and accept our need as, as sinners that we need to be rescued from the penalty of our sin. And then let us embrace who Jesus is and what he has done. And that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when I receive him by faith, he has taken away my sin. Amen? We establish that he, who he is and what he has done. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed, 
You were not paid for with corruptible things like silver and gold, the selfie things of this world, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, the things that you like to do, but rather you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We have been paid for. Our sin has been paid for. Beloved, maybe you don't get it. Let me help you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's what's happened for us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let us see our need and repent of our sin and receive Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, by faith and be rescued from the penalty, which is death, and have real life. And so we see also then, following what John says here about him being the Lamb of God, then he goes further and we see that he's empowered and that we are empowered by the Spirit. That's the third sub-point. You see, once we've trusted Jesus Christ by faith and, and we have life, there is yet more that we have in the Lamb of God. Not only do we have real life, but also we have the ability to live the life. We see a hint of it here in verses 32 and 33. John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. He remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so what happens here is that the Spirit of God comes down from heaven and remains on Jesus. Whereas the Spirit came and went on kings and prophets in the Old Testament, here we see that the Spirit comes and remains on Jesus. This had been prophesied in Isaiah as well, in Isaiah 42.1, where he says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And then as we receive and we are rescued, as we trust Jesus by faith, trust in the Lamb of God by faith, he baptizes us with the Spirit of God. We are baptized and we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And because of that, when we trust Jesus by faith, who gives us life, we now are able to live that life. We're enabled to live the life of holiness, to obey the Lord, to follow the will of God. But the question is, are you always faithful? Come on now, are you always faithful? No, we're not. Let me answer it for you. We're not always faithful because the flesh and the Spirit are at war within each of us. Amen? But now, but here's the thing, but now as we tr have trusted Jesus by faith, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we've been baptized and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we're now empowered and enabled to live the life, real life, a life of obedience, a life of assurance, a life of peace and joy and with hope. And this life and the Spirit empowers and enables me to keep my eyes on Jesus, the Lamb of God, and to point people to him as well. Only Jesus, listen, only Jesus can give us what we really need to have life. We live in a selfie world, but we need to come to this conclusion right away, is that we need Jesus. We are rescued from the penalty of sin, and we enjoy fullness of eternal life now and then. And that begins with the forgiveness of sin and having the Holy Spirit, which comes when we receive the Lamb of God by faith to receive and be rescued. 
Secondly, have faith and follow. You've heard the quote, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Right? You all probably heard that. Well, I thought it was Lee Iacocca that made that up. He was the chairman of, a G, uh, of Chrysler, I believe. But I went to look at uh, that uh, search engine and found that some people think it's General Patton, some think it's Lee Iacocca, but in reality, it was Thomas Paine, one of our forefathers here in America. And he said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. But in a selfie world, we don't like to follow anybody. I want to take the lead. I want to be in charge. I want to be the person that people point to. I want to be that guy or that person. But here in the last part of this chapter, we see Jesus is to be followed. And to follow means that someone is before you, that someone is ahead of you, that someone is leading you. And Jesus, listen, Jesus, only Jesus, the Lamb of God, is to be followed. And we see first off that he is preferred before me. Look at verses 26 and 27. John the Baptist is answering these people who are questioning him. And he answers and says, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. Then you skip over to verse 35. And again the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they left John and followed Jesus. So notice here what John doesn't say. John the Baptist doesn't say to his disciples, No, wait, wait. Don't, don't go after Jesus. Stay here with me. Don't go. I need you to follow me. That's not what John the Baptist says, is it? But think of all that John the Baptist had. I mean, he had popularity. He had audiences. He had the ability to speak. He was quite the orator. People were being baptized. He was seeing fruit for his labors. But what does John the Baptist say? He says, don't look at me. I'm lower than a disciple. I'm lower than a slave. I'm not even unworthy to untie this man's shoes. I'm unworthy to take off his sandals. I'm unworthy to wash his feet. No, I am nothing. He is the one and he is always, John is always pointing back to Jesus. Boy, how unlike the world that is. Amen? Where what we do today is we, we may not say this out loud, but oftentimes we're thinking this in our heart. Hey, look at me. I'm better than you. See how good I am. Because I am somebody. Pat me on the back. Give me the applause Give me some recognition. Hand me another trophy and recognize my accomplishments. Beloved, listen. No, it is only Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? Point people to Him. Let us point to Him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and I am nothing apart from Him. He has taken away my sin. All that we accomplish is for him. All that he does through us, all that we do, let us point back to him. Why? Because he is preferred before me. He is superior to me. He ranks above me. He is the one that I look to. He is my priority. Always, always, always give him glory and have faith and follow him. He's preferred before me and he's pointed to me. 
We see in this passage of Scripture that John the Baptist here points Andrew and another disciple to Jesus. Then Andrew points his brother Peter to Jesus. Then Jesus calls Philip, pointing to himself, saying, follow me. And then Philip finds Nathanael and points him to Jesus. And on and on down through the centuries, people have been pointing to Jesus. And then somebody pointed Jesus, pointed you to Jesus. Amen? Somebody pointed you there to him. Maybe today's the first time you've ever had anybody point you to Jesus. Maybe that's me for you. But the question is, what will you do with him? What will you do with Jesus? Because he's looking for you to follow him. Have faith and follow him. Why? Because he's worthy to be followed. Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. He's the one who has rescued us from the penalty of death. He's the one who has given us life and the power to live it today and forever. So follow him. I mean, why? Listen, why in the world would you want to follow anybody else? Amen? Why would you want to place your life in the hands of worthless idols? Why would you want to squander your life on the worldly goods, the worldly treasures, and the worldly ways that will not last? Listen, beloved, be all in and follow Jesus. These men who were from differing backgrounds, different families and lives, knew that there had to be something more to this life. And they knew that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to a Messiah. We see that when Philip's words to Nathaniel there in verse 45, where he found Nathaniel and said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Someone pointed them to him, and they followed. Beloved, listen, are you following Jesus? And are you pointing other people to Jesus? He is worthy to point others to him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which means he takes away their sin. That life is in him. Real life, real life that we need is in him. So have faith and follow him. He's preferred before me. He's pointed to me. And then thirdly, he is present with me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is preferred before me, pointed to me, and present with me. Verse 46, we see this, this interchange with Nathaniel and Jesus. After Nathaniel says to Philip in verse 46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth speaking about Jesus? Philip then says, Hey, buddy, you just come on here and see. Then as he comes toward Jesus, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel and he coming toward him, and Jesus says to Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathaniel said, Well, how, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathanael, just like that, answered and says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, we read that past scripture, and we back, and we kind of scratch our heads and say, Okay, I'm missing something here. How in the world can he get to that point so quickly right there? Well, we really don't have a clue. But obviously, something has happened. Nathaniel obviously has had some experience where we do not know all the details. And he comes toward Jesus, and Jesus lets it be known that he knows who he is when he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, evidently, obviously, Jesus knows the character of Nathaniel. 
And so he's alluding here as he uses that, that wording, you know, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. He's alluding to Jacob who, whose name was Israel but who was a deceiver. Jesus points to Nathaniel and says, look, an Israelite who is not a deceiver. Maybe Nathaniel had just been thinking about Jacob. Maybe he was thinking about the promised Messiah. Or maybe he had just prayed a prayer under the fig tree that only God would have known. But whatever the case, Jesus lets Nathaniel know that he knows him and that he saw him there under the fig tree. And then Nathaniel responds, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He recognized who he was and that this one had been present with him. And now Nathaniel would follow him. Beloved, do you not know that the creator of the universe who loves you so much that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is the one who also knows you and is also present with you. Isn't that wonderful? That the God, is with, the God of the universe is with you, is present with you. How comforting that is to us. How scary it can be for some as, at times as well, amen? When there's accountability that needs to be made. Being present. There's something about being present. This past week, one of my daughters went to Cedarville University. She drove back by herself. It's an eight-hour drive, and uh, Dad had to release her and let her go. And so one of the things that made it less um, nerve-wracking was that there is a wonderful app Technology can be a good thing. There's a wonderful app. It's called Life360, and I'm not doing a plug for them right now, by the way, but just letting you know about something. Life360, and it will follow her, you know, wherever she goes. And so on Monday, as she traveled back, she left the house at 7.30, and she arrived at Cedarville University at 4.45. Long day. And I called her once I knew she was back on the campus, and I said, I want you to know something. I said, I have, your whole life, every day of your life, I have prayed for you almost every day. But I don't think I have ever prayed for you as much in one day as I have today. Because as I watched that, that app move along, you know, 288 to 64, down 81, through West Virginia, through the tolls into Ohio. I was praying every step of the journey. It's the longest day of my life. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it sure was good to know that I could sort of watch and see where she was. The app is good for others who come in late at night, too, by the way. <laughs> where you can look in, in your app in the morning and see what time did she come in last night. Oh, and let's see how fast she was driving, too. There's some accountability with that, too. Amen? Teenagers saying, oh, man, pastor, you had to give this away. Moms and dads, you're welcome, all right? But knowing these things, to be present. You know, but all you can do, though, like in those types of situations, is all I can do is follow her on the map. 
But here's what's comforting, is that Jesus was with her in the car. And my going to Cedarville or coming home late at night, Jesus is with them, and he's with me, and he's with you. And he knows where you are, and he knows all about you, and he's with us. And in him is life, real life, and we want to follow him. Because he's preferred before me, he's pointed to me, and he's present with me. He's the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. He has rescued us. Do you feel that? Well, he has rescued us from the penalty of death for our sin. He has given us hope. He he has given us life. And so will you follow him? Will you point others to him? Only Jesus. There was a certain woman who lived a, a long, limited, and isolated life of hard work. She always needed more. She was so busy with her labors that she never got around very much. And as the sun was setting on her life, somehow she was taken to the ocean, which she had never been before and never seen. And as she looked at its apparently boundless borders, there standing on the seashore, she spoke out and said, Thank God there's enough of something. There's enough of something as she looked at the ocean. Let me tell you something, friends. Here's what we know. Thank God, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. To really live, we really need him. Receive him and be rescued. Have faith and follow him. Two things to do, but then when I finish the second one, don't put your Bible away because i got one more thing, all right? All right, so first one is this, to do. Remember the weight of why we need Jesus. Remember the weight of why we need Jesus and accept him if you haven't. Let's remember the weight of what it is to be under the wrath of God. Some of us have been Christians for so long that we forgot what it was to be lost. Let us not forget the weight of that sin and how we have been freed from it. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've heard very clearly today that you can know him, that you're not good enough to get into heaven. You're not good enough to have life. You're not good enough to accept to, to get out of the penalty that, that we all have upon us on your own. You need to accept Christ by faith. It's a step of faith. As we say, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We turn from our sin, turning to Jesus, embracing that Jesus is who he says he is and what he's done, that he's the Son of God who died for us on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, rescuing us from this penalty. We turn from him, turn from sin, turning to him, embracing that and professing that he is the Lord of all. Ask him to be the Lord of our lives. Remember the weight and receive him by faith. And then if we already know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then may we, as we walk away from here today, may we be revived in the relief and the rejoicing of his rescue for us. May we be revived in the relief of his rescue for us. So the question is, have we, have we become passionless about Jesus? Have we become indifferent about the Lord? Have we become cold and unresponsive and even disinterested in who Jesus is? Now, we'll, we'll pull out all the stops when we come on Sunday morning, but it's when we live in the life Monday through Saturday that we're asking the question. Amen? 
Have we become disinterested in who is and unresponsive to who he is and what he has done for us? I mean, after all, he is the Lamb of God who has taken away our sin. Well, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, never got over who he was. And he saw something that we're going to see and even take part in one day in Revelation chapter 5. He saw the vision in verse 6 through 13. It reads this, John John, who wrote the Gospel of John, says, Then I saw a lamb. Who do you think it is? Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, watch this, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. And beloved, listen. Because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when you have been rescued from perishing, you will be there. And you will worship Him and honor Him and praise Him and magnify Him and exalt Him because He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's live for Him. Let's pray. Father, may you have your way in us. May you guide us and direct us and help us to remember the weight of being under the wrath of God, but then immediately remember the rejoicing in our hearts because of what you have done for us, how you have released us from the penalty. You've taken the death penalty away from us and upon yourself and given us your righteousness that we may have life now and then in your presence. God, may it continue to affect us. May it cause us to point people to you. and Let them know of the hope that's in you alone. Lord, may you work in our hearts today to recommit our lives to you. To be your disciples. That it's not about us in this selfie world. But that you are all we need. Only Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by your power, we pray, have your way in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to stand and we're going to sing. You come as God's dealt with your heart.